Hello and welcome to Failing Boldly, a podcast that invites people to share stories about failure, resilience, and perseverance. I'm your host, Christian Kuhn, and my guest this week is church planter and pastor Kevin Makins. Kevin is the founder of Eucharist Church in Hamilton, Ontario, and recently published the book, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? The book is a very honest look at how his church came to be and his own personal joys and struggles in that process. We also do some reflections on the state of the church in Canada, so I hope you enjoy it. Kevin Makins, thank you so much for being on the Failing Boldly podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. It was really great reading your book. And of course, you're the founder of a church in Hamilton, Ontario called Eucharist Church. And what I'd like for you as a way to kind of talk about your backstory is to talk about the the moment, or I don't know if there was a moment or maybe several moments, the spark that made you think about creating a, a new community of faith in Hamilton. Yeah, it's it's funny now with with the book out and you know we're a decade in and now COVID, it feels like lifetimes ago that we had <laughs> any creative spark at all. Uh <laughs> no, but it I think um when we were originally looking at at starting a church, you know, the spark for me came out of a love of place, um, a love of of this city that I, I live in. I'm born and raised in Hamilton. Uh, if people read the book, there's kind of different parts of the city. So we, I was raised in a little bit more of the kind of standard Canadian uh, suburb kind of environment. But the downtown of Hamilton was this kind of wild, crazy place that we were told not to go. And it's literally down the escarpment, like down a 300 foot cliff into this um, kind of lower part of the city that hits up against the water. And it's this ex steel town really poor, but really creative and funky and just like porch dwellers and, you know, uh, bikes and scooters everywhere, like just this weird place. And when I was 16, um, I fell in love with the city. I worked at a summer camp downtown. I initially had that feeling that a lot of us have when you're raised in very um, kind of safe or kind of middle-classy environments. And then you first encounter truly diverse neighborhoods, which is like, at first you're just terrified. You're like, I don't understand this. This feels different to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. But then very quickly realized that there were things that the people in this city understood and, and things about these neighborhoods that were bringing me more to life and making me feel, uh, you know, like for the first time, I, I really cared about a place because it really felt like a place. Um, and so it actually started with the love of the city. And then I had this big faith awakening that the following year after working at the summer camp, I had this big come to Jesus again, faith moment. I was raised in the Lutheran church and that was great. But then I went to this youth group and they were like, really, here's how you try to follow Jesus as a 17 year old. And that was kind of new to me. And uh, that kind of led me down this long and windy path. I won't get all into it, but essentially at some point I, I had always felt, you know, people had said, you should be a pastor. You should be a pastor, which they do if you're in the Lutheran church, because there's only like four young people, <laughs> they have to get some of them to become pastors or the church will just die. Uh, so I was, I was selected to be the one that all my Sunday school teachers said, you know, uh, you should be a pastor. And I ran from it and I, I worked a bunch of bad jobs and I got fired from the night shift at Tim Hortons. Like it was just this long run of being a loser before I realized I'd been running forever from church stuff. And, and that maybe it was kind of like my plans aren't going that well. So how bad can God's be? Maybe it's, maybe it's time to kind of lean into that. Um, 
And around that time, you know, as I was probably 1920, um, I heard about church planting, which I'd never heard of before. Because in the Lutheran church, we, we planted them all 500 years ago. Like we did it. <laughs> and now it's just Done. riding Luther's coattails until kingdom come. Um, but I heard about church planting because it was right when podcasts were coming out. And I'd listened to sermon podcasts trying to just grow more in my faith. Like I was kind of just starting this out, um, even being a Christian and like really intentionally being a follower of Jesus. And I'd listen to these podcasts and I'd hear, it wasn't the sermons that were captivating me. It was the announcements they'd often do at the beginning of those podcasts hmm. where they'd say like to a group, you know, like you guys, like just to a little church, a little uh, church plant, they'd say, we're going to move locations and we're going here. And, and this is what we're doing. And this is this, this project people are working on. And, I found those announcements as captivating as the sermon podcast I was like meant to be listening to because it was kind of this, like for the first time with technology, you could see what these different churches were doing across North America. And you could see how they were engaging with their neighborhoods in these really intentional ways. And so for me, that kind of sparked this this connection point between my love of this city and these neighborhoods that I had been uh, engaging in and my sense that church mattered at some level Hmm. Um, but I didn't want to go work at a nice church where I tried to make middle-class people feel happy. Like that wasn't for me. Um, but the idea of like going and cultivating the soil of a neighborhood and seeing what emerges and the dynamic responsiveness of being really engaged in a place, um, and seeing something kind of that looks like that neighborhood looks like that city emerge from that, you know, that kind of uniquely Christian expression of faith that could only be found in that place. That became very compelling. And so I think, I mean, that's kind of a long roundabout way, but I think that's what led to this desire to say, we should, we should cultivate some soil down here. We should spend some time in this city. Uh, And so my wife and I moved downtown and spent two years just getting to know people. Um, And I was interning at another church in Toronto, trying to understand more about how churches worked. And that just organically led to a group of people saying, let's try to start a church. Let's see what happens. And yeah, that that's uh, probably the best origin story I can give for kind of how that came about. Yeah. Did you have a sense as you were feeling connected or feeling drawn into the announcements about church planting, had you known yourself to be having kind of an entrepreneurial spirit of being kind of like uh, having to like to start things? It's funny, I, I wouldn't have pegged myself at the time in that kind of manner, um, <clears throat> which is also, I mean, I was young, like, like by, yeah. it, it was just, it, which is a terrible idea. I was 23 when we started the <laughs> church. You, it's just too young, <laughs> like, you know, um, but I, I had that youth group zeal. Like I got married at 20 and started a church at 23. Like that's yeah. what youth groups, and, and you know, I, I don't judge myself for that. I, I have a lot of compassion for that kid I, that we were passionate enough to just go for things. Um, cause now 10 years later, I'm just tired all the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't have said that I had an entrepreneurial itch at the time. Now I can recognize that there's that depending on language people use entrepreneurial or apostolic kind of temperament to me. Mm-hmm. I, I do love that kind of stuff. My wife is much more business entrepreneurial than I am. She's started a number of businesses, um, including one downtown when we were just getting to know people. That's how we got to know a lot of people is my wife opened a clothing store. Mm. So, um, I think at the time, though, there was just a sense that I liked people. I liked um, creativity, you know, in the arts and trying to do things creatively. Uh, And I think that just that combination, along with the love of place, gave it a bit of an open-ended feel of like, let's just see what happens. Um, So, yeah, I I think I knew that 
personally trying to work in an existing church wouldn't have gone great for me. But I also saw that a lot of people I knew, both people who would call themselves Christians and those who wouldn't, were not finding a place in the kind of existing church in our city, um, which isn't necessarily even a critique of those churches because every church is limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that there was a gap in, you know, to use the metaphor of the body of Christ. We had a lot of like maybe hands and arms and stuff, but we were just missing feet and toes and some of these weirder expressions. So I think we just had this recklessness of like, well, let's just show up and see what God does. And maybe it's a church that lasts, or maybe it's a thing that's six months and that's the end of the experiment. And were you okay with that kind of mindset? I mean, did you go in, some people I know, especially with church planting, there's always that, um, that drive, that energy, that vision but then there's also in the back of your mind, or maybe it's more the forefront for you. This could, this could fail quickly. Yeah. And yeah. So were you, when you thought about it, were you kind of okay with that and thinking, let's just try it and see what happens. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are benefits to, to doing things when you're really young Yeah. that you lose over time. Like I can already see the limitations in my life are, are far more prevalent now or just different limitations. So back then you know, we, I didn't have kids. I didn't have um, a lot of responsibilities. You know, we were in this very affordable, poor city. And um, there was a, I'm sure there was some ego stuff in there of like, I want this to succeed because I don't want to be a loser. Um, and, and, you know, who wants to be a loser? So there was, I'm sure some of that subconsciously kind of at play. Um, and maybe a bit of a, like, we're going to make an impact and with we're going to make an impact always comes a bit of like, I'm going to make an impact. Yeah. Um, which again, I don't, I don't judge. I just assumed that that was, had to be there somewhere. But I think there was just as much, I hope at least 51% was this kind of like, let's just take the risk and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to fail, at least we'll fail boldly. We'll fail quickly. And I'm 23. Like we can bounce back. You know, yeah. I'm not going to have to sell my house at the end of this. Um, and I also, I worked a, a, a job at a group home for the first five or so years of our church, full-time at a group home, um, doing night sleeps. I just happened to get a sleep contract that I could work. So, um, you know, in the first year of our church, I think, I think we made like $12,000 in, sa- in giving and, you know, maybe like eight or nine for my salary. So I, I technically was volunteering 20, 30 hours a week, but I had the right to pull that back if I needed to. So I think even part of it was we were we were building a thing with it. The empire we were building was so low to the ground that I don't even know what it would have looked like for it to fail. Hmm. Um, like, you know, if, maybe if we didn't get 500 bucks a month for our rent at the little space we were renting that could only fit 30 people in it. Um, yeah, maybe at that point we'd go to our living rooms. But like for the church to fail because we had so little built up in our in our kind of structure, the church would have, it would have meant that all 30 of us said, we don't want to be the church together. That's when it would have ended. But, you know, we could have gone down to zero income and still, as long as we got money for bread and wine, we could have continued to be the church. I just wouldn't have been able to be a pastor in the way I was. We would have had to find whole new ways of being the church, but there was, there was no kind of chance of failure unless we all hurt each other so significantly that this thing died. Um, You know, the, the gravy on top was that this, became a job like wow you know and we have boards and and we've got a building and we have now we have we have more to lose um but that's all that's all a gift on top of the kind of foundation the foundation was let's just do this and see what happens so i think there's something to be said for being younger and in some ways not really knowing what you have to lose uh, and just trying it because i think that's part of yeah. the problem 
and maybe this will kind of get into my question too for American churches is now I sense that people are, are, are because attendance is declining. And so there's more and more of a fear of uh, trying something new when actually it should be, this is the time to try something new. And so I'm curious in Canada, I realize generally speaking, would you equate kind of where um, it is where or tied to where things are in the States or is there a uniqueness to where the state of the churches in Canada that, um, that we may so not know about here in the and States. I'm, I apologize for the general yeah, nature pulling. of this it question. It so special that anyone even you know, we've, I read, certainly, in Lid, the general <laughs> religious state of I mean, religion in the United like, States. Now we've got legal weed decline and of many stuff. things, like, the whole spiritual but cool not religious kids, but, uh, movement. And yeah, the same in Europe, life, too, even we more were, of a we decline. Kind of uh, losers above America. Um, <laughs> your brand has kind of changed with the last few years as a country as well. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, to put this in context, and I mentioned this in the book a little bit, but I didn't like I we we are not a Christian culture. Um, Like I went to church when I was a kid, and I was the only one of my friends that went to church. And I, you know, I went to public school and didn't know another Christian until I was 16, 17 years old. Mm. Um, You know, so that's not the experience of every Canadian, but I think that is for, for quite a few, especially if you're in mainline churches that are kind of facing decline even more sharply. And I actually remember I got really into ska music. I don't know if you know ska music much, but there were like bands, Christian bands that played ska music, like MXPX and uh, like Supertones. Uh, these are, you know, obscure nineties polls for people listening, but <laughs> I remember one of them, they were these Christian bands and they said Jesus in it. And I was like, what? And I ran into my parents' room and I was like, mom, dad, they're talking about Jesus. And then later I found out there's a lot of churches all over the world. And then I found out there's this whole country called America where just everyone is walking around saying they're a Christian. Like that was, I know that's, that's changed and that's a bit of a stereotype, but like for you guys, it's so woven into your politics. Um, You know, here, uh, there's there's an argument to be made that the last conservative leader lost the election because he's Catholic. Mm. Um, you know that that's that's a read on it, but you know it's it's a much more secular environment. So I would say we are closer to the kind of European um, decline of the church. Yeah, but complicated by two factors. One, Europe still has nice religious stuff. Right. So like we are we are probably not as far down secularism as they are in some ways, but in other ways, it never got Christianized here in the same way. So, you know, when they have the queen, you know, they, they got whole like special religious stuff when the new queen comes in or whatever. Like it, it's still in they're still haunted by by Christendom in mm-hmm. a way that he, here we're not as much. Um, there's still some of that haunting, but not nearly what you'd see in America or Europe. The other thing that's really interesting about religion in Canada and Christianity in particular in Canada is that we're so close to America and we define ourselves as Canadians by America. Mm-hmm. So either we hate America and we're not America or we love America and we feel insufficient. Mm-hmm. So in either way, we're living in a bit of a reaction. So one of the hardest things about being a Christian in Canada and in Ontario in particular, which is so close to the border is that people like secular people in Ontario read American news and think that what happens in America with the church is what's happening in Ontario. Mm. 
So somebody might say, well, you're only a Christian for the political power. And it's like, what are you talking about? You know, but they read, they read American news and we, we are so social media obsessed that it, it's hard to understand the reality of what it looks like to be the church in Canada without living in reaction to America, but also without recognizing that we are losing a third of our sacred spaces in the next 10 years. Mm. was a study that was put out a couple of years ago by the CBC. Um, you know, a third of our sacred space is gone and that was before COVID. So now what was 10 years might be five years. Um, so we are thoroughly secular, but we think we're super religious, <laughs> which is just like the most complicated space as a Christian pastor um, with a kind of a more of a liberal bend anyways. It's just a very strange space to find yourself in, but also a really fun space to be in. Do you sense then the folks that you're reaching at Eucharist are, do they come in then most of them without much of a background, faith background? And so what draws them? Is it just the curiosity? And they have and a sense of, I thought I knew what Christians were, but you seem okay and a little odd. And so I'm curious and I want to learn more, I guess, what's the compelling reason for them to at least dip their toes in what, in what Eucharist is offering? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so as a community, um, I use this language in the book, but someone described this once as like a front door, back door church, or kind of um, maybe a church to use some of Richard Rohr's language on the edge of the inside. So there's going to be people on the edge of the outside who are coming in or people that have been moved to the edge of the inside who are going to connect with our church or the front door, back door, you know, people, their, their first step into faith altogether, or they were on their way out the back door and, and they kind of stopped in at our church to give it another last shot because someone told them they should. Um, so I'd say that's the majority experience of, of people when they come into our church is either they're, they're pissed off at the church, they're frustrated with Christendom, they're upset by what they perceive to be the kind of marrying of, of politics and religion, um, again, often, which comes through a reading of a lot of American news and witnessing a lot of America, but there's plenty of conservative uh, kind of fundamentalist churches here that hurt people too. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's kind of that wave of people who say, I, I believe in God, or I believe, I think I believe in Jesus. Um, I find the resurrection compelling. I, I'm not ready to throw out faith, but I don't know what that looks like. And the church that I was raised in or the church that I was a part of, um, in my formative years, you know, I, I'm not going there. So this is kind of a, a safe or accessible option for people with some religious history and often a fair amount of religious baggage. Um, and then the other side would be people, which I'm very compelled by, who just have like little to no church experience at all. Mm -hmm. And that the best thing about that is you don't have to deconstruct anything. <laughs> like they're not coming in saying like, I've got all this baggage and I just think I'm going to go to hell and, you know, I, I've got all these judgments of others in my mind. Like, they just come in and they're like, who's Jonah? Mm -hmm. Who's Jesus? You know, like, this is a really cool story. This is really beautiful. And they become Christians and they hear people from, you know, more fundamentalist backgrounds talk about their fear of hell and being on fire for all of eternity. And these new people following Jesus are just like, what are you talking about? Where's that in the story? Because mm -hmm. they're not coming with that baggage. So, um you know, by the grace of God, some of those people from both both doors have now become much more comfortable in their faith and much more able to say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I've worked through my baggage and integrated it well. And that's beautiful. Um, but I'm, I'm very curious about the kind of uh, the people with no church experience, what they have to teach us as the church. Um, and I think that 
seeing those people become followers of Jesus is going to be huge for us reimagining what the church looks like and what discipleship looks like in secular contexts. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned as a church planter myself is the, or are all the raw emotions that a planter has and goes through, particularly for, for us, for our church, we have a, a lot of the former that you described uh, and not, a t- not as much, many of the people have like little to no background but we have a few. And one of the things that I wasn't planning on were the people who come into the space, our space and are excited and jazzed and want to give their lives energy, whatever. And then three months later, they're gone. And I think you do a really good job in the book of talking about that, that experience, but also you're pretty raw with your emotions and you really lay it out there. Like, this is what I am experiencing. This, these are the jealousies that I have. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, did you, when you started writing the book, did you know that I've got to put all that stuff in there because that's, that's true to who I am. That's true to who the church is. Or did that come about as you're writing it? And you thought, I don't know if I should write this or not, but I'm going to go for it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. It it has been very nice to see that people resonate with uh, my petty insecurities and (laughs) personal issues. Um, I think that, yeah, like we all have kind of temperament on, which I think really affects the kinds of stories we tell. And um, I found early on, I'd go into church meetings or into meetings with, with just church people, like not just clergy. You know, I think that this, that resonates with anyone who's loved a church community has felt that pain. Um, Certainly clergy among, I think I'd I'd go into these meetings and we would, you'd sit down. I don't know if you've had this and people go around the circle and they start kind of sharing their church updates and you can tell in five minutes or five seconds, whether this is one of those, like, we're going to actually be honest and tell each other the truth, or if this is like, we're going to go around and kind of puff up our egos and try to convince everyone else that we're like special and cool and not going to die. And you know, inflate, like, inflate, inflate our numbers by, you know, yeah, like and the temptation <laughs> to do that. Like, you know, this grateful that I, I have a, a pretty strong sense of self-awareness and a sense of humor at my own desire to do that. Like, you know, I'm not above that. I'm completely like, I want to show you that this thing is special and cool and not like the other ones. Um, And so I think that, you know, initially writing, I did have some desire to say, like, I want to control the narrative. I want to share something that's going to make people think that we've, we've really caught something special. And in that, there's some truth. There are some special things we've learned. And there are some things we've learned that might be helpful to others. But I think I pretty quickly realized that it's just not very compelling to read and it's not also not very true. Um, and, and finally, like, it's just not the best story. Like the best story is not, you know, kind of saying we're just a bunch of failures and the best story is not saying we're a bunch of winners. The best story is the human story of we gave it our best and sometimes that was enough and other times it wasn't enough. Um, and both of those can be held by the creator and, and used by the spirit to transform us. So um, I think that once I kind of shifted out of this is a kind of like a, a book written by me of, about the good stuff in our church. Like once it, once it was no longer like a church help guide or a, a Christian answer book, it, it became something a little more in my own voice and my own passion, which is much more just a creative expression or storytelling. And then it was like, okay, every good bit of comedy, every good story has real lows and the stakes have to be high. And I have to share that side of things. And that meant 
sharing some stuff that, yeah, that, you know, up until I was writing it were stories that I would hope no one would ever ask me about that. Nobody would ever say like, Hey, you told that great story about the woman who came to faith. Is she still a Christian? Does she still go to your church? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can almost see in your own like um, desire to paint things well. You can see your own brain saying like, oh, I hope no one asks about this part of the story. And then trying to hone the impulse of saying, okay, so why am I scared by that? Like, because mm-hmm. now that's the real energy, not what I thought I was going to say, but my fears of what others would ask. And if I'm this afraid of it, that means there's something truly transformative in this ex- experience. Yeah. That if I if I can live well first and then explore well and, and tell the story well, that might crack open a space for this to be not another um, Christian book kind of trying to justify its own existence, but but maybe just a human book about trying to follow Jesus that is, you know, really hopefully um, fresh and interesting and funny and uh, enjoyable to read. <laughs> You know, yeah. like that was my hope anyways. Yeah. Could you, as part of that, an example of that, um, I was, I was kind of taken aback near the end of the book. You talk about your experience of going through a boot camp, and for us, our experience, and I think for a lot of planters, the experience is boot camp is something you do at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And you, this is something you did at boot camp. How many years were you in to Eucharist before you went to this? Like four or five years in. Four or five years in. So yeah. uh, would you mind, for those who haven't read the book, just kind of summarizing that experience? Yeah. So we, we were told our, we have a denomination, which we kind of just picked because they were the closest. Like I went to a seminary downtown Hamilton that was connected to the Canadian Baptists. And we met up with them once and said, you know, we need a denomination so that we don't look like a cult, you know, we want just something <laughs> We're 23, like we've got to have some sort of structure. Um, so we joined this denomination and, and, you know, there wasn't a bunch of money or a bunch of coaching. They hadn't done a lot of planting, but it was, a, it was a fine relationship. And a couple of years in, they were actually trying to figure out how to help other church, church plants get started. And they, the denomination was wondering if uh, something like a, an assessment center is what they're called, if that might be the right way to help assess whether uh, church planters are called by God to do this and have the gifts to do it or not. So they didn't send us to have our church assessed as much as to see what the assessment would be like so that they could then decide if this was a partner group they wanted to engage with. So we went, we were four or five years in, and it was a season of, of great like hardship. It was, it was probably the most difficult time in our church's life because we were four or five years in some of the magic had disappeared. Um, You know, we'd had people leave. There were new churches in the city that I was sinfully jealous of that were, you know, now they were the sexy, fun new church. And so it it was this kind of difficult season. And and I think we had this thought of like, even if they're not assessing us um, in the traditional way, it it would be great if they saw in us something that would kind of reaffirm our faith Mm. here. And and really show us that this is this is going in the right direction. So we went to this assessment center and it was this three-day thing, 12-hour days, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. in Vancouver, out in the suburbs in this mega church. And we walked in and the assessment team was there and it was 20 middle-aged white guys and three of their wives. Which <laughs> I make a note in the book, it's not that I'm like against middle-aged white guys as a rule, like I'm almost one of them. But uh, you just can't discern the spirit of God in a room where everyone's had 
a similar life experience. Like it just was immediately like, uh Oh, this isn't going to be good. And I realized that there were no women there being assessed, um, which was like, Oh, this is going to be very interesting. It was all couples and all male kind of uh, pastor with, with their wives. So there were some of those signs early on, but I still thought maybe this will go okay. And man, it was, Oh my gosh, man. It was the weirdest experience ever. There was like blindfold exercises and, casual lunches where they'd be sneaking in theology questions and we had to meet with psychiatrists. And at one point my wife just turned to one of the psychiatrists and said, why is everyone here so mad? Mm. Like everybody here is so stressed. And uh, you know, there was evangelism exercises where, you know, I I'd try to ask the person asking the evangelism questions. They'd say like, Hey, can you evangelize me? Say, so I'd say, sure, sure. Tell me about your childhood. You know, and they'd be like, no, no, no. I want you to like, evangelize. So we just were completely missing each other. Like the, the models of how they view church planting and how we had experienced it were just so different. Um, and then at the end, they, they kind of do this after three days, they stay up all night and they pray and, and, you know, drink a lot of Red Bull <laughs> and ultimately just tell you not whether they think you should church plant, but their language was whether God has called you to church plant, which is a very confident thing to say. Uh, and they kind of said, there's these, these levels, there's, you know, A and A on your assessment is you're called by God to church plant. A B is you're called by God, but, but not right away. Take some more time. C is you're called by God, but we have some reservations. So we want you to take more time to be mentored. A D is you're, you're not, you're not called to be the senior pastor or the founding pastor, but you could be on the team that helps plant. And then an F was you are not called by God to church plant. And if you were to do so, it would put your soul and the soul of your community in jeopardy. <laughs> Which is a big statement. And uh, a, it's a big statement. Yeah. And then they said, you know, we decided to assess it as if you guys were people coming in, even though you're church planted, we just wanted to give you like a from scratch assessment like we would have any other time. And they said, yeah, Kevin, Kevin and Meg, uh, my wife and I, you know, we, we give you an F. <laughs> and I was like, an like, I, I didn't think we were going to get an A. You know, we, we were already missing each other enough that I had a sense that A was on the cards. But I thought at least a C. Like, you know, a lot of days I have serious reservations about myself. So I thought that a C might be like an appropriate response. But it was a straight up a fail. And, you know, they, they gave their reasons, which were like, they said I, I had a low social aptitude, which was hilarious because talking to people is like one of the only things I'm decent at. Um, I'm terrible at like email and organization, <laughs> but then they had this other stuff of like, you're not spiritually mature enough. And um, you know, these, these comments that kind of did cut, um, you know, as much as I'd like to pretend I am, you know, so, so confident and uh, so, so strong that they didn't get to me. They, they really did. They really cut deep and, um, and, and caused a lot of kind of self doubt and um, a lot of uncomfortable uh, reflecting for a season before kind of discerning with some mentors, which I talk about in the book, if people want to read more about the story, but um, you know, some mentors stepping in and saying like, no, in this case, I think they're just wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I think that they just didn't know what they were looking at or what they were looking for. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. If uh, I can add one more thing that yeah, go ahead. I mentioned that I think would be maybe just helpful for anyone listening. My friend L Pike, who uh, works with the Canadian churches, she said something that really kind of haunted me too. She said, you know, I'm glad that you, you handled that and, and it was fine. And, and 
you know, in fact, I'm grateful now for the story because I'm pretty sure that story alone got me the book deal. So, <laughs> you know, God, God spins gold out of the pain. But she said, I'm, I'm sad for the woman who received that kind of no from a church plant assessment mm-hmm. of some kind um, or the, the queer person or the person of color um, or the introvert, like, or somebody who, you know, I, I'm a white straight man with a master's of divinity um, you know, and you'd I'm had some extro- success. I'm extroverted, and we already planted a church that was growing. And even I felt like this had knocked the wind out of my sail. Mm-hmm. So, if it was that painful for me, what is a you know these kind of structures? If they're not done incredibly responsibly, what kind of harm are we doing? And who got knocked down through some of these gatekeepers that maybe just didn't have the social privilege or, or um, personality or what it would be it? to step into this again, you know, and how many churches and and communities are we missing because of uh, gatekeeping being done in an unhealthy, immature way? Yeah. My question is, and maybe this is a broader question too. First, I was wondering about, I'm always curious for people, like what are the spiritual practices that help them be resilient? And so maybe in this, like coming out of that experience, did you already have practices that helped you to kind of get through that? Were there some new things that you engaged in to kind of help you through that? And are they the same today? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I feel like in my life, there's a couple of anchoring practices and then there's some that come and go in different seasons. Um, the number one anchoring practice for my own like survival, like it's not even like one day we were like, we're going to be really spiritual and do this exercise. It was like, if we don't do this, we're going to die <laughs> um, is Sabbath. Sabbath keeping is, is really key for me. Um, Eugene Peterson's a big, you know, mentor from a distance. Uh, you know, I often joke that if I summoned a Patronus, it would just be Eugene Peterson hopping around. Um, so, so his writing on Sabbath really impacted me and the reflection of, you know, a, a busy pastor is a sinning pastor. You know, you, you can't be busy. You can't be anxious. You can't be controlling. Um, and then having this one time in a week where, I'm not allowed to send an email. I'm not allowed to have a meeting. Um, and I have this incredible congregation that really honors that those boundaries. And I'll get a text on a Friday, Friday's my Sabbath, that says, um, you know, hey, can you forward me that document? And then another text immediately that's like, oh my gosh, I forgot it's your Sabbath. Ignore this email. Don't read it. You know, and you're just like, to have that kind of community has really helped Sabbath become possible. Um, so Sabbath is really huge. Um, having good relationships and mentors is really huge. Um, Like in the book, there's hardly a chapter where the answer to a challenge doesn't come from some mentor figure, somebody that's kind of outside of myself, Mm. very little of the fruit we've seen in our church came out of just gritting your teeth and pulling up our bootstraps. It almost always came out of trying something, not being able to do it the way we thought it would go and then having some wiser voice help us see where God was at work in, in the failure, you know, to quote your podcast title here, in, in the failure or in the, the just, it's a different thing, you know, the, the different expectations. So yeah, Sabbath, mentoring, um, some, some liturgical prayer rhythms. You know, we have morning prayer a couple times a week in our city that um, is more of a seasonal thing, months on. And then this summer, you know, paused for COVID and um, paused because I wanted to sleep in and prayers at 6.30 in the morning. But yeah, common prayers, um, church, regular weekly church is, is also for me is meaningful because um, we have a church where I don't have to do everything all the time. So um, 
yeah, those have been some of the the real anchorings. And then lately, in the last couple of years, learning a lot more about quiet, silence, and solitude. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a, a silent retreat that kind of helped me kick off some of this stuff. Doing doing a couple since then, and trying to just take you know ten minutes uh, most days to sit and uh, be present with God and and not control. I'm a control freak. That's my that's my drug of choice. Mm-hmm. Is trying to you know I want everyone to understand my wonderful plan for their life, <laughs> um, and learning to release that. Learning to release my my sense that my illusion that I have any control over what happens in our church or in anyone's life is, is a really good thing and has been kind of the largest anchoring spiritual practice. Yeah. Well, I usually end these conversations by asking someone to share a failure story out of their own life. And you've kind of already done that, but I don't know you'll you get a chance to share another one. If you want uh, a story out of their own lives um, can be small or big, funny or serious, something that happened this morning, something that happened a few years ago. Is there uh, anything else you wanted to share with us today? I mean, I can, I can share that. um, I don't know how much of a failure story it is uh, in so many words, but like this, this COVID time has been brutal for me. Hmm. Um, Like it's, it's better now. (laughs) It was really bad for a while. Um, One sec. My, uh, yeah, I'm doing a pod. Is it studies? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think I think that this COVID time has been really was a time where I've, I've really faced a lot of this stuff again, like uh, just being disconnected from people, like not getting to see people face to face very much, not being able to gather uh, in traditional ways, and and it hasn't necessarily been a failure. Like the you know we we've, we've pivoted, we've tried things, but definitely has been a time where all my ideas of what things were going to look like have not exactly gone according to plan mm-hmm. even launching this book you know in the in the middle of a summer of covid launching a book about church at the only time in human history when no one on earth is allowed to go to church um has has really was really painful and really caused me a fair amount of anxiety and stress in the earlier days and um was a time I was, uh, you know, you have to go on the church website and delete every upcoming event and, <laughs> and all the reoccurring events. You're just, you're just deleting, deleting, deleting. Uh, we had two housemates that have lived with us for years and, you know, both of them moved out this summer. Uh, my wife, you know, is on parental leave and that's about to run out. So, you know, our income's about to drop and uh, the book was coming out and we had a 30 city tour booked and we had to cancel a 30 city tour that was going to be all summer long across the country. And so you just see, I was out back um, pruning a tree in the backyard. I've never pruned a tree in my life, but it was just so overgrown. And I just started chopping it down bit by bit, bit by bit. And at the end, I was like, I don't know if this tree is going to die or flourish. I just know it wasn't working. It was, it was too bloated. And then started laughing at like, oh, that's what this season feels like. It feels hmm. like my life and our, our church community. It's just too much. And... COVID has been this like pruning back, pruning back, pruning back. And yeah, I don't know what's going to live and die in this. I don't know uh, what the future is going to look like, but what it was needed a pruning. So uh, I don't know if that's quite a failure story, but it is definitely a story of, of I think me trying to control this time and say mm-hmm. like, no, we're going to, it's going to be great. It's going to be better than before. And having to realize like, no, this time's hard. And this is a time where we're going to lose a lot. And we're going to be holding a lot less at the end of this than we were at the beginning. Yeah. And that may not be a bad thing at all, but it, it certainly is a painful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, well, I highly recommend why anyone 
why would anyone go to church? And so I uh, hope uh, others find it helpful and useful too. But Kevin, thanks so much for uh, taking time and sharing today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And thanks everybody for listening. I hope uh, you love the book. And that's this week's episode. Thanks again to Kevin for giving his time for this conversation. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin Makins. I hope you will subscribe to this podcast. It comes out every other week, wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about me and my ministry, you can go to my website, christiancoon.com. Thanks again for listening.